you have your Bibles tonight and you would, find the 15th chapter of Matthew. And um, last week we started a series on what to expect when God begins to work. And if you remember that, or if you weren't here, uh, you can listen to that online, or uh, you can just kind of take the overview. And we started back at the end of chapter 14 when Jesus begins to heal. And Jesus begins to work in these lives of people. And it says in that chapter that all the people who were brought to him who were sick were made well. And what should have been a time of celebration where people who had spent their whole life blind, their whole life crippled, their whole life with the, without the ability to speak or, or whatever the ailment would have been, are healed. I mean, just imagine what that would do if you and I were able to go into Hamilton County, just Hamilton County with me for just a moment, and find every person with cancer, every person with uh, uh, the side effects of a stroke, or, and bring them and watch them heal. Just imagine what that would do. Well, I can tell you what it would do. It would cause some excitement for those of us who saw it. But for everyone who didn't see it, some people would celebrate with you and others would criticize you. Well, that's just one of them typical Baptist churches out there. Got a little Baptocostal in them and got a little out of control, right? Or that guy out there is a cult leader and, uh, you know, or something like that. That's where it would be. You say, well, Jake, that wouldn't happen. All of us can become a Pharisee or a Sadducee under the right circumstances. And so what happens is God heals and God's works. And we look there in verse uh, chapter 15 where the scribes showed up and began to tell Jesus, your disciples wash their hands in the wrong way. And so what they eat, it's not clean because they didn't hands up, hands down, hands sideways, shake three times and turn around or whatever it was. They didn't do it. And so the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the religious leaders of the day begin to question Jesus and, and tell him that what they're doing is sinful. And Jesus responds and says, no, no, no. Your traditions are causing people to sin. And we look there in the first uh, eight verses about how they were teaching that you didn't have to honor your father and mother as long as you made an offering to the temple, that, that other things. And he just tells him, he said, you, you guys are actually causing people to sin because of your beliefs and the nitpicking and all that's going on. And so tonight when we continue on in our passage of Scripture and we're looking at what to expect when God begins to work, um, he goes from speaking it to them because he tells the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, he tells it to them. But Jesus is getting ready to take their sinfulness and their selfishness public. And tonight I want you to hear this. Almost every church within a 30-mile radiance of here, within a 30-mile radius of here, can look to a point in their history and say, God was at work. Every single one of them, whether it was a revival where God broke out and saved many people, it could have been at a time when the church was full and God was working and moving. 
almost every church, if not every church, could come to you and say, then, back then, was an amazing time. God was doing amazing things. I can remember talking to one pastor of a church who years and years ago, they prayed for a young man and he was uh, miraculously healed. And he said, I'll tell you, he said so-and-so's name. And he said, he was even running the building, shouting and praising God. And I said, you're lying. I said, that, that, that's not possible. I've never even seen that person smile, let alone run and shout for the Lord. And he said, that's when God was at work. But those days are long gone. And so tonight, my warning to you is that those days, I believe, are here for us. That God is at work. God is moving. God is doing things. I believe he could do much greater if we were not grieving the Holy Spirit sometimes. But I want you to know tonight that as God continues to work, and God continues to save, and God continues to bring people, and God continues to do what he is doing, the choice will be ours to either celebrate and join what God is doing or to be like the scribes and Pharisees of the day and to grieve the Spirit of God as He works. You say, well, Jake, this is the Sunday night crowd. This is the, the cream of the crop. This is the, the, this is the backbone of the church. And, and I agree with that. You're not here probably other than just you want to be here. Maybe you're here because your kids wanted to be here and they drug you along with them. And if that's the case, that's, that's great too. Your heart's in the wrong place, but I'm glad you're here. But um, tonight, if you want to know where this attitude comes from, it is not the people who are here on Christmas and Easter. It's not even going to come from the people that are here two Sundays a month. This attitude comes from the people who show up for business meetings who serve on committees, who, who are involved in the process of doing church. I love you, and I've had the privilege of serving you and the Lord for 10 years. But none of us should ever get to a point where we think that couldn't happen to us. I couldn't get my feelings hurt. I, I couldn't get bitter about something. I couldn't disagree with the way that God is working. Because each and every one of us can. And so tonight I want you to see how God handles this and how I hope that we will respond. And so if you would pray with me and then we're going to jump right in. Father, tonight I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for how special they are to me and to our family and God, the many ways you've worked and moved in our life over the many, many years. Lord, I thank you for this church. and I thank you, Lord, for making it a light on the hill. And Father, I pray that you would continue to work and move. And Lord, that we would be able to say until you return that our best days are still in front of us. Father, I pray for whatever is going on in each and every heart. Lord, whether it's hurt, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's bitterness, whether it's brokenness, Lord, just whatever it is tonight, Lord, I pray that you would start to deal with each and every one of us, Lord, that this spirit of of division, the spirit of uh, the scribes and the Pharisees is not found in me. Lord, it is not found in each and every one of us. And so, Father, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you will, God wants the multitude to hear and understand. 
Jesus begins to explain this to the few, but then he changes gears, starting here in verse 10. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defies a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defies a man. And so tonight I want you to hear that, that Jesus could have kept this teaching to the disciples. He could have kept this teaching to just the Pharisees, but Jesus wanted the multitude to hear. And why did Jesus want the multitude to hear? Because he wanted the multitudes to have the opportunity to hear and respond. To hear that they were being led astray by false teachers and tradition. That they were being led astray into things that didn't matter. That things that couldn't help them, that couldn't save them. And tonight I believe that's still the case. I believe Jesus wants to speak to the multitudes. I believe that Jesus cares about not only those that are sitting on the chairs tonight, but those that we will reach, those that God will bring, those that God will change their life. In Hebrews chapter 4, in chapter 4 and chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 3 is all about explaining how Jesus was faithful, how the Old Testament Jewish people were not in the wilderness. And Jesus, in verse 7 of chapter 3, and it's not on the screen tonight, but you'll just have to write it down. He talks to them about hearing his voice. He talks about listening to God. If you flip over in the end of chapter 3, in verse 15, he says again, if you will hear my voice. In verse 19, he says, you could not enter rest because of your unbelief. But in chapter 4, he moves from the Jewish people to you and I, to the church, to those people who are claiming to be believers. And he says in verses 1 through 7, and we're not going to read all of it just for the sake of time. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. He's saying that there is only rest through Jesus. There is only a rest that comes through salvation. Where you are no longer an enemy of God. Where you are at peace with God. Where you are a friend of God. And he talks about this and he, he goes on and he explains about how uh, the Old Testament they wouldn't list. But yet God worked six days and, and then took one day off and rested. And, and he's giving us this idea that rest is available. Rest is something that you and I can have. And Paul was worried that they were going, or whoever wrote Hebrews, Paul or Luke, that they were going to miss it. And listen to what he says in verse 7. And again, he designates a certain day, saying it to David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your Hearts. So in verse 7 of chapter 4, in verse 15 of chapter 3, in verse 8 of chapter 3, this idea is hear, listen, pay attention to, don't miss this, don't harden your heart when you have heard this. Over and over again, he is telling them the same principle, hear and understand, listen to what God is saying. And so Jesus is telling the multitudes, you are bound in sin. 
You were bound in tradition. You were bound and led by false prophets. But it doesn't have to be this way. I want you to hear the truth. And tonight you need to know this, that the critical spirit, that spirit of the scribes and the Pharisees is one where it says salvation only comes my way. I didn't say Jesus's way. Jesus said he is the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh to the father except through me. But yet so many times religious groups, we get in this mindset that we are the way. That we are the truth. That we are the life. And that is not the case. Jesus has a desire to reach lost people. What does that look like? Well, sometimes it's when a white church won't reach a black church. Or when a black church doesn't want to reach white people. Or when rich people don't want to reach poor people. Or poor people don't want to reach rich people because they're afraid that what it's going to look like. And this identity is, well, we'll reach who we want to reach. We'll reach them how we want to reach. We'll reach them our way. But yet Jesus says when he had called the multitudes to who? Don't miss this. Himself. Jesus didn't call them to the religion of the day. Jesus didn't call them to the greatest tradition of the way. Jesus called them to himself. Why? Because Jesus said only he had the words of life. Only he had what could set them free. Jesus is the answer. And so if we're going to avoid a mindset that says we've accomplished enough, we've earned enough, we have enough, it's got to be done this way. We always have to call people to Jesus. We have to be a group of people that believe that Jesus Christ saves sinners. That Jesus Christ can change lives. That Jesus Christ can save those people that the world has given up on. That Jesus Christ can change the marriage that people have given up on. That Jesus Christ can work and move. And we have to believe that God wants people to hear. You know how I know how easy it is to manipulate your children. If your kids know that you want something, it is amazing how they will try to accomplish that. If they think you want something from them on sports or if they think that you want something for them in an activity, it's amazing how they will want to succeed for who? For you. And how many times do we force our children to live out our dreams through their lives and how dangerous that is. But on the flip side of that, if your child and you have a passion for the same thing, that's a joy. You can talk about it. You can do it together. You can, you can enjoy it together. It's a beautiful thing. And in our mindset, in our hearts, if we do not believe that God wants to reach the multitudes, if God doesn't want to reach the hurting and the broken, if God doesn't want to reach those that are less fortunate, or God doesn't want to reach the people that other people have given up on, our heart is not going to be that way. If we think God only wants a certain kind of people or a certain type of people or a certain group of people, it is going to limit what we are passionate about. I love fish. I'm just going to tell you that. I don't like to cook fish. I don't like to catch fish. I don't like to cook fish. I like to consume fish. And Friday, was it Friday, Thursday? I don't know what day it was. Our whole family went to a local restaurant and fried fish was on the menu. It was a buffet. And they had two things on that menu that I wanted. That was it. Fried fish, 
fried potatoes. I didn't want macaroni. I didn't want chicken. I wanted nothing else. I wanted fried potatoes and fried fish. And as I sit, I'm not preaching on this because gluttony's okay, all right? That's not what we're going with. As I sit down with ten little, little pieces of fish, don't worry, little, little, little pieces of fish and a plate full of fried potatoes, one of my children was eating chicken and macaroni. And they said, Dad, what are you eating? I said, don't worry about it. This is for me. This is my plate. I, this is, I walked up there. I got it myself. It's mine. And they said, can I try a piece of that? And I'm thinking, if you want to lose a finger, you know. <laughs> but uh, I gave one of my children a piece of fish, and she loved it. And so she didn't want any chicken anymore. She didn't want anything else. She wanted fish. Another one of my children said, Dad, can I have a bite? I said, no, that's enough. If you want some, go get your own. And she went and got fish, and she began to eat fish. And you see, this idea is, if someone that we love is passionate about something, and we, we understand that, and then we have a desire or a passion for it, it leads to action. You know what I did after that plate was empty? I went and got some more what? Fish and fried potatoes. Why? That's what I wanted. It was delicious. It's all I ate all day. So don't judge me and look at me like that. I can see it on your faces right now. But that's what I wanted. And that led me to action. And tonight I believe the greatest danger that faces our church and faces Baptist churches across the country is the belief that God does not want people to be saved. I believe it is a, a threat that will suck the evangelism and the passion to go and reach lost people. But if I believe that Jesus Christ really wants the homosexual to be saved, the drunkard to be saved, the liar to be saved, the, the adulterer to be saved, the, the, the thief to be saved, the, the prideful to be saved, then I want to go. Because why? Jesus saved me. Jesus found me when I was many of those things and loved me enough to die for me. And so tonight, always remember that God wants the multitude to hear and understand. That means church isn't just about you and I. It's not just about my preferences or yours. It's about the fact that God wants the lost to be saved. But what I think happens to most of us, and you don't have to answer this tonight, is we've seen lots of people come and we see lots of people go. We see lots of people get in the water and then they're gone. And it is so easy for us as Christians to think, I've been here at this church 10 years. I've been here at this church 20 years. I've been here at this church 30 years. I've been here at this church 40 years. And you know what? We're, we're the reason that it's going. And we're the ones giving. And we're the ones serving. And that's true. But never let false professions. Never let those who haven't really been saved. Keep you from believing that God can change the lives of other people. Because some of you, there was a day that you came in for the first time. And somebody was probably sitting, some of you, even that little white church over there. And said, well, they're probably not going to stick. Oh, they're, they're, oh that, that baptism, we know how he is. That's probably not going to stick. But yet here you sit today. And so Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was lied about. Jesus was abandoned by his disciples, but yet what? He keeps building his church. The Holy Spirit keeps convicting the lost. And Jesus keeps working in amazing ways. Second thing I want to show you tonight 
is God will destroy those who won't hear and understand. Look what it says in this chapter in verses 12 through 14. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard these sayings? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Jesus says that they are going to get theirs. I think it's interesting that they asked him, did you know how much you upset them? Now, my wife and I, she's asked me that numerous times. That probably wasn't the right thing to say, Jake. They were very angry when they left, and that happens. I genuinely don't mean to upset people. It's not something I want, but it seems to be something that I'm good at. I don't, you know, I don't know if that's a spiritual gift or not, but it's, I don't think that's the way it's designed. But what he's talking about here is this simple truth. That yes, the truth is going to offend those who are only worried about themselves. The truth of the gospel is going to offend people who always want their way. The truth of the gospel is going to hurt those and cause those to stumble and cause those to be angry who have made religion about themselves instead of about God. Listen to how Matthew describes it in verses Chapter 18, verses 6 through 9. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come. Don't miss that. Must come. But woe to that man by whom the offenses come. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and it cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye than rather having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Now we know that Jesus is not teaching self-mutilation. But what he is teaching is to remove the things in your life that are causing you to stumble, that are causing you to sin, to remove those situations and those things that are causing the problem. And I want you to hear this tonight because Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to people who are leading other people astray. He is not speaking to the lost. He is not speaking to those who don't have religion. He is speaking to those people who were, were honoring the Sabbath in their mind. He was talking to people who thought they were dressing the right way and talking the right way and acting the right way. But yet in their hearts, they were sinning. And tonight, my great desire for each and every one of you is to know that you know Jesus, that the Spirit of God lives within you, that sin is something that you are fleeing from. You say, Jake, I can come to church and I can live however I want. And God understands that. No, he doesn't. God wants you to flee from your sin. The Bible says because He is holy, you should be holy. You say, Jake, I've got a foul mouth. I've always had a foul mouth. I'm going to have a foul mouth till I die. Not if you're saved. If you will yield to the work of the Holy Spirit, He can change that. You say, Jake, I've always struggled with fear. I've always struggled with fear. I've got a fear problem. You don't have to if the Spirit of God lives within you. 
You say, Jake, I can live one way at, at home and I can live another way at church and no one will ever know. One of these days on judgment day, it's going to be revealed. And so tonight, the challenge that I have for you is this. If you really know Jesus, if the Spirit of God lives within you, to let Him lead you. Let Him convict you. Let the process of sanctification work where Jesus is making you more and more like Himself. Because friends, you can fool the pastor and you can fool your Sunday school teacher and you can fool the people that you know. But what Jesus shows us here is you cannot fool him. There is no hiding it. There is no faking it. There is nothing. Jesus knows the heart. And that's what it says there in Hebrews 4 that we looked about a minute ago. That the word of God, it is the one that pierces. It is the one that separates. It's the one that, that wades into our life and our heart and shows us the truth. And third and final thing tonight is our time is coming to a close. God is long-suffering even when we don't understand. You say, wait a second, Jay. You just told us that God is going to destroy those who don't believe. You're exactly right. But God is long-suffering even when we don't understand. That's what it says here in verses 15 through 20. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, are you still without understanding? And I want to stop right there for just a moment. He says, why are you like them? You say, Peter wasn't a Pharisee. Peter wasn't a scribe. P Peter wasn't a whitewashed tomb. No. But yet he still was not understanding all of the things of God. And friends, I'm glad that I don't have to have every answer for God to love me. I'm glad that I don't have to be perfect for God to love me. I'm thankful that Jesus is long-suffering. I'm thankful that as I have grown in my faith over the last 15 years, that God has been long-suffering. And I say this tonight because if you are going to love the lost and you're going to have a desire to see them saved, if you're going to watch God bring them here, you are going to have to be long-suffering to people who don't understand. Who don't understand. Who don't understand all of the things of the Bible. It's amazing. Someone gets saved and we're like, would you like to recite all of the books of the Bible in order to me today? I just got saved four minutes ago. You want me to know? Yes, let me know it. Or you know what? You just got saved. You need to know everything that Baptists believe about everything right now, this moment. Or you can't be a part of our church. You see, you need to understand that we need to extend grace and mercy. That doesn't mean what we believe doesn't matter. Absolutely not. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't know what people are living and how they're living according to the Scriptures. No. But we need to be understanding Peter was used by God in a mighty way. But yet here in chapter 15, he still doesn't understand what it means for the blind to lead the blind. Here he doesn't understand what it means to be so wrapped up in tradition that you miss the mark. But don't forget later on in the New Testament, even after Peter had had his moment of denial, even after he was working and serving God in a mighty way, the Apostle Paul had to correct him in love. If you remember this, because a group of Jews showed up that didn't like the Gentiles. And what did Peter start doing? He 
started hanging out with the Gentiles instead of the Jews. Instead of the Gentile Jews instead of the Gentiles. And Paul says, I had to, I had to confront him. It was wrong. And so, friends, you have to understand that people are going to stumble. People are going to fall. People are going to make mistakes. And we go to them in love, in care, in mercy, in grace. That doesn't mean that we ignore sin. That doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to sin. But it means that if Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach as an eliminated? And I don't think I have to describe that to you, but you understand. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. And you say, well, Jake, I understand that our hearts are wicked and the things that come out. But Jesus begins to list the specifics because we are living in a day and age where people say, well, I know that sin is wrong and sin is against God, but I don't think it's sin. And tonight I want you to hear this, and I don't care if it upsets you, I don't care if you disagree with it, but if God has called it sin, your emotions and your feelings and your thought matter nothing. What God calls sin, what God says comes out of a defiled heart, is the truth. And so what does he say there in verse 19? For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. What are evil thoughts? They are the fountains of all others. They precede actions. They are the motives of what we do. All evil thoughts are intended. If it is any thought that it goes against the word of God, it says that is it. You say, well, Jake, that's a lot of thoughts. Absolutely. That's why it says, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Murders. You say, you can't murder someone in your heart, but yet the Bible says to hate someone in your heart is the same thing as murders. It's that malice in your heart that says you hate someone. It goes on and says adulteries and fornication. And they're split into two categories. Adultery is anything that is done when you're married to someone that is not your spouse. And the second one, fornication, is anything that is done outside of the confines of biblical marriage. That means premarital sex. That means homosexual relationships. That means pornography. Whatever it is. That is what he's talking about. You say, Jake, we live in a new world, a new day, a new time. Everybody does it. Look up here. It is coming from an evil heart. And it's sin. And as a church, we ought to extend grace and mercy and love people. But we can never stop telling people that your sin is an overflow of your heart. And if you'll repent of your sin, it is a sign that God loves you and that you love God and that you're forgiven and that you have hope. But if you will not turn, if you will not repent, if you will not flee these lifestyle choices, if you will not flee these habitual sins that you are committing, you do not have a new heart. You say, Jake, that's cruel. That's what Jesus just said. Jesus is saying that. He goes on and says the thefts. The idea of taking something from someone that doesn't belong to you. False witness. That is lying, concealing the truth. And this is what I want you to hear. Every human being can lie. And every human being has been guilty of lying. All of us in the right circumstances, the right situations, the wrong difficulties can be that way. But friends, he is saying that it can't be the lifestyle that you have. You could either go through seasons where you struggle with lying. But yet it should not be your whole life. He goes on in this same verse and says what? Blasphemies. 
And that is anything that is in opposition to God. You say, I didn't use the Lord's name in vain. Blasphemy is any time that God is a certain way or is a certain attribute and you have a hatred for that or going against it. So, for instance, there is in Matthew chapter 9, verse 3, blasphemy proceeds from opposition to God or a hatred for his character. Romans 8, 7 is that there is a desire that there should be no God. You say, well, what do you mean, Jake? Atheists don't believe in God. They're blasphemy. They have the sin of blasphemy because they don't believe God knows what he's doing or that God is in control or that God should have a say. It is a sin. Psalms 14, 1 uh, talks about the fact that blasphemy comes from the heart. It's not the wording. It's the heart behind it. And if you were to read this same story in the book of Mark, Mark adds a whole bunch more sins that come from the heart. Covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lust, an evil eye, pride, foolishness. Jesus gets specific because tonight God knew 2,000 plus years ago that we would be living in a country that said, well, I know that's what it says it is, but it's not. I know that's what you believe it is, but it's not to me. And what Jesus is, is those actions, those lifestyles are a reflection of what's in the heart. Now, please don't think tonight that I'm being cruel because that's what's going to happen. I didn't say that you struggle with that sin. I didn't say that you stumble in that sin. I'm saying when you live in that sin, everyone can have a lustful thought. Every, everyone can have a covetous moment. Everyone can have a moment of hatred in their heart. <clears throat> but it is a lifestyle. And friends, that's what is so devastating about what Satan is trying to do today. And this is going to upset some of you, and it doesn't. It does. I'm a grown man. I can handle it. When they call it lifestyle choices, that is because it is a direct assault on the belief that habitual sin is contrary to the word of God. And don't miss this. Jesus knows that we're sinners. Jesus knows that we're going to stumble. Jesus knows that we're going to fall. But the Bible never teaches that you can make a profession of faith and live a life of habitual sin or a lifestyle of sin. That means if you had a sin that you were living in before you were saved and God forgave you and set you free and put your feet on the solid rock and turned you the other direction, yes, you might still have a tendency, you might still have an urge, you might still have a desire from time to time, but you are going to flee that for the pattern of your life. I was a drunkard before Jesus saved me. I am no longer a drunkard now. I was a woman chaser before God saved me. And I'm no longer one now. Does that mean I've never thought about taking a drink? You're absolutely right. I've thought about it. Sometimes you make me want to think about it. But uh, that's a joke. It's not really. But anyway. <laughs> can I have a lustful thought? You bet I can. But I'm telling you, when God saved me and God changed me and God forgave me, He wiped it all away. And friends, you cannot come to Jesus one way and leave the same way that you can. Jesus took the blind and gave him sight. He took the cripple and gave him the ability to walk. He took the man or woman who was dirty with leprosy and made them whole again. Jesus 
never leaves you when you truly encounter him the way that he found you. Now, friends, if you come from an alcoholic background, you might struggle with that desire till the day that you die. But yet the Holy Spirit can give you victory over that. The Holy Spirit can take that away. The Holy Spirit can change that. And so listen to what it says in verse 20. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Jesus, does, Jesus doesn't just tell them what's wrong. Jesus tells them specifically, you are wrong. He says, these things are wrong. But he looks right at them and says, that group of people is wrong. And friends, tonight, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we can't just be a group of people that speak about sin. We just can't be a group of people that talk about how bad sin is. We have to go in a spirit of love. Now, don't miss that, because some ends are good at the speaking, but not the loving. And say, you are wrong. Friends, I pray that God gives me the intestinal fortitude to be able to stand in this pulpit for as long as he leaves me here and be able to stand up here and tell you that this is sin and this is sin and this is sin, even if it's in my own home. My children are still young. They can still be beaten into submission pretty much all the time. But as I have been studying Samuel, I think, what would I do? What would I do if my daughter married a pastor? I don't believe my daughter's called to be a pastor because I believe that's a role reserved for men. You disagree with me? You can be wrong. It's okay. But if my daughter was to marry a pastor and decide to leave and live a life of sin, what would I do? Would I still be able to stand up here and preach this book that marriage is honorable, sacred, and special? Or would I cower under the love I have for my daughter? I believe that drunkenness is a sin. I believe Baptists, you should stay away from it. I believe there's nothing good that comes from sipping saints. Nothing. And I'll believe that to the day I die. But if one day my daughter becomes, she only got daughters, I'm not saying sons, all right? Please, Lord, no. But... Uh, becomes a raging alcoholic who won't repent. Am I willing to stand in this pulpit and say that a lifestyle of drunkenness is contrary to the word of God? You say, oh, preacher, it won't be a problem. How hard is it for you? Because, friends, the tendency that Satan will attack us with are the people we care about the most. Compromising is not hard when I preach against Joe Biden. I'll give it to him full force. But those six little girls who ride to church with their mom, it's a whole lot harder. You know what I found? It's even harder for me to get along to do that with your kids. I'm going to get in trouble for telling this. We had some flowers here, as you know. And uh, last year I was teasing some little kids, and I said, don't worry, they're, they're plastic. You can kick them, and it won't hurt them. And I went like that and kicked it off the stage. I know, I know, you're mad at me. And I said, you, you, you try it too. And the kid did it, and the mom and dad still haven't forgiven me, I don't think. But, uh, man, I know you're all special about the flowers. I'll buy new ones if it's that big a deal. And I'm like, it's not a big deal. They're kids. Let them, let them, let them have some fun at church, right? They just suffered through a 45-minute Sunday night sermon. Let them have some fun. 
So it's even harder for me when it's your kids. But tonight I'm going to challenge this church and challenge you that you either believe the book or you don't. You either love the lost or you don't. You either believe that God can save people from their sin or not. And sometimes the tendency to compromise will be to be self-centered. And sometimes the tendency to compromise will be because it affects the people that we love the most. So tonight, that's my challenge. With every head bowed and every eye closed, tonight, do you believe, if you would, that Jesus can still save sinners? Would you raise your hand this evening? Thank you. Tonight, if you're glad that Jesus saved you, would you slip up your hand? I'm not looking tonight because I don't want to break that confidence, but I appreciate your honesty. But tonight I want you to hear something. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized or you're a member of this church. If you're here tonight and you know that you're not saved, God knows. If you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, I know that God saved me, but I am living in sin. I am living a two-faced life and the Lord knows. Friends, tonight, you're right. God does know. You say, Jake, I've got some things going on in my life that I don't believe are sin, but yet the Bible says are sin. God understands. No, He doesn't. There will be no arguing with God on Judgment Day. Lord, I, I know that I shouldn't be this way but Lord it's it's how you made me that's not going to work you say well Lord everybody my age is doing it or everybody my age is cheating on their taxes or whatever it is tonight none of that's going to work every knee will bow and every tongue will confess you say man preacher tonight's sermon is just as depressing as it was this morning only if you say no Because tonight Jesus will forgive you of every sin. He will forgive you of your unbelief and give you rest. That's what Hebrews says. But you've got to hear his voice. You've heard the word of God. Hebrews 4 talks about its power. The spirit of God is at work. And so tonight I didn't preach this tonight to make you feel guilty or to upset you. But tonight I preached it so that the Spirit of God would convict you and me and change our lives, change our hearts, change our desires. And so tonight here in just a moment after I pray, I want to encourage you to do a couple things. One, if there's an area of your life that you're struggling with, come and give it to God. You say, well, Jake, it's just a little issue. It's not a big issue. It's keeping you from who God wants you to be. Bring it to Him. Maybe tonight you've not been worried about lost people very much anymore. You've kind of got comfortable in your holy huddle. Tonight would you come and find a place at the altar and say, God, break my heart for the lost in my family, the lost across the street, or the lost across the world. Maybe tonight you've got a family member in your life that was raised in church, but is run from God. Running from you. And tonight you want to come and lift them up in prayer. Come and find you a spot. You say, Jake, I can pray where I'm at. Absolutely you can. 
But I believe it's just a sign of obedience. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. With a request. So tonight, if it's something different, I don't know what it is. Let God have his way. But most importantly, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, tonight, if you'll repent, call upon his name, he will save you. You step out and come. I'm going to be right down front here in just a moment. Church, you lead by example, by coming. And hopefully that will give them the courage to step out and come as well. Would you stand tonight as we pray? Father, I thank you so very, very much for your word, not mine. Lord, I pray that I have preached what was there, what it said, God. And I'm trusting that you can do the results, that you can change the hearts, that you can change the lives. Father, I pray that you'd help us to be the church that wants to be used by you, not the scribes and Pharisees that try to limit or change what you're doing. Father, tonight I pray for that family that won't admit there's a problem. I pray for that family tonight that won't, ish, that won't admit that there's a, a prodigal in their life. Lord, but especially tonight I pray for the lost that are here tonight that don't understand what freedom and peace and joy can come from having a relationship with you. So Father, we give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, that I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please, reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.